0: this is when you get uh, players from other teams that discarded them. They come to teams like the Ravens and they play better. And the team calls us back after the season like, hey, how the heck did you get him to uh, like play so well? Was he like a brat and was he like an ogre and difficult to deal with uh, with you guys like it was for us? No, not at all. How'd you do that? With Ravens. <laughs> right? And so the culture dictates that uh, we're all gonna be connected uh, and we're all gonna be concerned with one another. And then we really w- win games when I trust you.
1: Hello, this is Bobby Audley of the Pinot Training Group, and this is my podcast 50 Cups of Coffee. At the Pinot Training Group, we work with teams and organizations looking to create powerful, positive, peak performance team cultures. Which is why I am so excited to kick off this podcast with a tremendous mentor to me and a giant in the world of player and personal development, Harry Swain. Harry Swain is a four-time Super Bowl champion and one of the few players in the history of the NFL to have started a Super Bowl with three different teams. Harry won three Super Bowl rings as a player, two with the Denver Broncos and one with the Baltimore Ravens in his 15-year NFL career, where he also played with Tampa Bay, San Diego and Miami. Upon retiring from his NFL playing career, Harry served as the team chaplain for the Chicago Bears before joining the Baltimore Ravens as the Director of Player Development, where he won his fourth Super Bowl ring. As you are about to hear, Harry is one of the kindest and wisest individuals I have ever had the privilege to learn from, and his wisdom comes from consistently being a part of success at the highest level. Whatever Harry touches turns to gold, and in this interview, we do our best to unpack why that is. Enjoy listening in on my cup of coffee with Harry Swain. One of my first Questions that I had for you was in related to this. Uh, I remember when we first met, you talked about the transition of a college athlete to the pros, specifically the NFL, which is where your experience is, and how. It's easy to say it's difficult. A lot of people say it's difficult. I saw you quoted in the Baltimore Sun as saying it's unfair, <laughs> and and uh, I remember when we talked. The analogy, the analogy that I've taken away. So maybe I'm I'm putting words in your mouth a little bit, but the story that I remember from our first conversation was, you you said imagine being a recent college graduate. You get hired by a top tier law firm, and you know one of the top twelve law firms in the country, and you are. Not only are you hired by this firm, but you are made a partner on day one. In being made a partner, certainly you're paid partner money, but you're also expected <laughs> to perform as a partner. You better believe to, it. To really perform at that level, mm-hmm. and if you don't, yes, you've got the scrape an opportunity. If you don't, then they can they can fire you at any moment. And if that law firm fires you, uh, the chances of you going to another firm are pretty rare. Mm-hmm. And when you laid that picture out for me, uh, it, it stuck with me just in terms of when you think of the the stress, the challenge, the mm-hmm. the whatever that goes into that transition. So talk a little, I'd love to, to hear more about that. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of the listeners are college coaches, youth coaches, athletes, mm-hmm. and there's, there's certainly some business professionals too. And I think the the analogies we can pull, again, as you and I've always said, Sport, and that's why I like. That's why I asked the question about your mother. Mm-hmm. Sports for you and I is not the most important thing. Correct. Right. It's a great lens to talk about some of these conversations. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd love to start there. Uh, on yeah, that, on that the transition, maybe even yours or or some of the folks that you've seen over the years. Of, yeah, of being in this.
0: Yeah, I'll talk about the unfair part because, I mean, when you you think about it, we expect these. They're still kids. Mm-hmm. Uh. Some are not even drinking age yet, mm-hmm. uh, especially if they come out as juniors and a lot more yeah, That come struck out as me jun-
1: when, I was, when I was there with you, yeah. and these folks are walking in the room, and, and I'm expecting what I think many people are expecting from watching mm-hmm. on TV, yeah. these, these grown men, and, mm-hmm. and, and I've been working with college athletes for almost 10 years now, and mm-hmm. I saw college athletes right walking in the room because they're they're just shortly removed from that that's all they're kids yeah Yeah.
0: they're still kids uh a lot of them still uh learning about who they are but they're expected to uh perform like a professional at least on game day Mm -hmm. and we hope that they don't behave like a normal 21 22 year old (laughs) (laughs) on the other days yeah And uh, it's so unfair, especially the first year, because we put them through uh, unfair changes. Take them out of their familiar location, uh, away from their support group, uh, family. Uh, They have totally new supervisors, uh, coaches. They have a whole new system. Uh, They come into a whole new culture that's already established. They no longer are sustaining the culture like they were when they were the best athlete on the team. Mm Mm-hmm uh they are put down to the bottom of the rung but expected to show really good promise so that you can stay here
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh and so we uh put them through what i like to call we beat the you out of you to make you one of us mm-hmm. and while we do that we expect you to perform at your best better than you did when you're at college certainly because if you perform at that level, you won't make it in the National Football League. Yeah, And then when the game does start, which is a type of familiar place to the pro athlete, you run into grown men that have been doing this yeah, yeah. for a long time and they have a, a different drive because they have a wife and family, like real bills to pay. Mm-hmm. And it's the most unfair situation to be in, everything is against you, very little is there that says, we've set you up for success.
1: Well, and when you, I remember in that meeting you had on the wall or you know on the PowerPoint, the average NFL career is what, three and a half years, Mm -hmm. less than that now. Um, How much of what you just described, the mental side of the game, plays into that reality for players? Do you see a lot of players who come in and certainly they have the talent and potential, but Mm -hmm. they just can't make that transition?
0: Right, yeah. Yes, it, I mean, it's tough, I mean, they're not even fully mentally, the brain isn't even fully developed yet, mm-hmm. right? They hadn't gotten to uh, 26 years old where the, the amygdala is completely forming so that the consequences of their decisions make sense, uh, off yeah, I, the field.
1: Yeah, I'm, you know, now that we're recording our conversations, I wanna make sure what I'm saying is accurate, but you're right, I mean, I know what you're saying is accurate, and there's also, I read somewhere, um, there's the kind of the maturity of the brain too. So mm-hmm. you could be 25 with the maturity of a 20-year-old or you could be 25 with the maturity of a 30-year-old. It can mm-hmm. swing in either direction. Yep. And as we think about people in our lives, I think many of us can start to place that. Mm-hmm. When I heard that, it started to make a lot of sense to me with the folks I worked with. Yeah. And and that, so if you keep that, I mean, you could have a, you could have a 20-year-old coming into the NFL with mm-hmm. the maturity of a 15-year-old and you look at them and say, why are they still acting like a kid? And it's mm-hmm. like, well, because maybe they are right. maturity wise, yeah. their own brain development. Yeah.
0: But that yeah. makes it harder too, right? You have like this brilliant athlete and he's a brilliant uh, and mature person. And then so they set the standard. And then we expect all others to mm-hmm. follow after that high standard. Mm-hmm. And that's even unfair. Yeah. So in, in many ways, we don't allow them to be 22, 23, 24 year olds, mm-hmm. right? Second, third year as a professional. Mm-hmm. Right. We were like, there's no industry uh, that says we want you to perform like uh, one of our top executives in year one or two. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's no industry that doesn't have at least what a 30 day onboarding process to orient you into the company. Mm-hmm. It's not even the orientation into per se what you'll specifically be doing, but just. Welcome to your new job. We don't. We don't have that. That was created. That was. And is, big is part there of the a program. way,
1: you know, is there a way in your opinion to do it better, or is this just the reality of professional sports?
0: Uh, both, uh, it's the reality of sports, uh, but in many ways, uh, the more uh, the reality of the specific employee uh, uh, gets cemented in the minds of the stakeholders in the organization and the philosophy of the organization, uh, they'll start to, uh, make important, uh, what is important from the perspective of the new employee, Mm -hmm. the rookie, uh, his plight, his journey, how that looks, right? So organizations that do better jobs at that, uh, actually grow and make and utilize their player engagement department's better.
1: I was going to say, would you credit, you know, uh, obviously with the Ravens, uh, you all were really celebrated for the work that you did in in player engagement, player development. So would you, is that an example of an organization that is doing it well? And quite frankly, if you look at, because as you and I have talked about, we can talk about leadership and character development and team culture all we want in the end of the day the goal of these organizations is to win the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. That's the goal. It's not even have a winning season. Mm-hmm. It's not to make it to the Super Bowl. It's to win the Super Bowl. Right. And and arguably, you know, they've done a good job of that, too, mm-hmm. statistically, if you look at team sports. So um, are they an example of doing it right? Absolutely.
0: Yeah, Yeah, they are. And a lot of that had to do with Ozzie Newsome. I mean, he just, as a GM, he has a perspective that a lot of GMs don't have. They don't have playing experience. They mm-hmm. don't. They haven't. They don't have like this historical perspective uh, that he had from having an owner like uh, Mr. Modell, uh, and so uh, believe me when I say that it, your leadership is important. Mm-hmm. How they see the steps uh, to getting to the lofty goal called a Super Bowl win is everything, right? In him allowing uh, important things, things that, uh, do say I'm investing in a particular employee or a player says everything about how that employee or player, uh, approaches his work, mm-hmm. right? So we just happen to have, and this is any industry you want your employees to go above and beyond. And there's some factors in every employee that, uh, allows them to do that, that, pushes them to want to do that for a company Mm -hmm. right and so the Ravens that certainly created that part of their culture
1: and so how going back to what you said earlier too you know you're bringing on you have this culture that is created to allow players to go above and beyond and you're bringing on new employees every year Mm -hmm. that are the best at what they do from the teams that they played at and you made a you made a comment of that's a challenge too, of bringing these individuals in and bringing them into an already established culture when they maybe led the culture where they came from. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? How do you bring these folks into an already established high performance culture, mm-hmm. especially when they have a mindset of, I've already got this figured out. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So, uh, in a lot of ways, uh, we, one of the first things we tell them, uh, one is congratulations. Mm-hmm. Right. And I really like to detail out all the things they had to overcome to get here. Like some stories are unbelievable. Uh, Some are just, there's no way you should even be here, son. And everything in between. And that has to be said, that has to be voiced, uh, right? Uh, They need to see the value in all the steps it took to get there.
1: And you voice that with them, but also to the group. Overall, correct? Yes. That's, I remember seeing that with every rookie in the room. Every rookie you class. Were doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So that not only is your story spoken out loud, but you know the stories of the people in mm-hmm. the seats next to you.
0: Yep. Yep. And uh, that's repeated in different ways, from different people. Head coach does a version of that as well, mm-hmm. celebrating the accomplishments of this people group called players. It's hugely important. Right? Because the reality of it is, like we said earlier, you'll be gone in three and a half years, Mm -hmm. in all likelihood, right? And so, that's where this is going, so why don't we also start to talk about that as well? Mm -hmm. Right? And uh, So that's when the reality for a 21-year-old, the the dream bubble just bursts. Hold it, I just got here, I've been working my whole life to get here, and now we're talking about leaving? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right, Uh, and so you. But you have to do both. You got to get them ready uh, to achieve, perform at a high level, and also get them ready uh, to leave. Mm -hmm. Right, Uh, and so that's why we always say the game is ninety percent mental. Mm -hmm. Like, who does that mental work? Like, we can say it's ninety percent mental, but too many of us are just working on the physical parts. With, without paying enough attention to the reality of the mental parts of what it's like to have to show up, make a team perform at a, uh, a high level and not, and have everything uh, going against you and not having any allowances to make any mistakes, mm-hmm. right? And then if you should make one even on the football field, oh my goodness, <laughs> our evaluations are uh, on the spot <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right there. Yeah, it's tough.
1: Well, and then I remember uh, you said that, I, I think it was you are the only, and maybe you and your assistant at the time, the only people within the organization on the football side of things that are not concerned with how they perform on Sunday. Mm-hmm. You're more concerned with how they react, to yep. how they perform. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about that relationship for the yeah. players, to have somebody who – isn't really concerned. I remember you saying you don't even particularly watch mm-hmm. on Sunday when you were in that role yeah. because that's yeah. not what you're there to do. I think
0: it's huge for me because where I sit, uh, I'm, an, I'm an HR person. Like I sit in an HR seat and I'm not involved in the uh, the daily idea behind your performance or you meeting your, you know, uh, agreed uh, expectations and tasks. I'm really just concerned about how you think, how you feel about uh, what you did, what you didn't do, what you're going to do, what you failed to do, how that uh, lays and lands on you.
1: And and put us in the so I I don't want you to name names. If you want to use your own experiences, you mm-hmm. can um, because I, what the what I'm cons- what I want to what I encounter a lot mm-hmm. is individuals that put professionals at any level mm-hmm. on a pedestal to assume that. They've got it all figured out. They have no nervousness. They have no uh, fear. They're not beating themselves up afterward. A player <laughs> that might go out there and play a tremendous game, mm-hmm. but you know, screws up at the very end, and and we think, well, maybe they just brush it off. You said before we hit record, you played 200 games in the NFL, mm-hmm. and you were nervous before every single every one. Every single so, one. So. I have had a lot of experiences talking with folks like yourself who, who say that, but uh, my hunch is a lot of people listening haven't. So talk about that. Talk about being nervous before every game. Talk about the players that you've interacted with that are on TV, interviewed after the game mm-hmm. as this this untouchable elite individual, yeah. yet they have the same self-conscious nervousness, fears, and anxieties that the rest of us have.
0: No, you can say the word, I was scared. Yeah. Yeah, I was absolutely, I think I was scared every practice as a rookie. Yeah. And, and so many of the games I played in, I was scared, especially if I was playing against a, a first ballot potential Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. I was scared.
1: Which you did. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, so... It, it's funny because uh, this is a testament to you. We've talked a number of times, and we've rarely talked about you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and so it it was through Wikipedia mm-hmm. that I that I learned. Um, so you won what two Super Bowls with Denver? Mm-hmm. Uh, started for that yeah. you, it, on Wikipedia. Correct me if I am wrong. Mm-hmm. It said you are one of few NFL players to have started for three different. Super, Super Bowl Bowls with three separate teams. So San Diego, Denver, and then Baltimore. Right. So two with Denver, uh, one as a player with Baltimore, one as an executive. And then you lost a Super Bowl with San yes. Diego. So I was, last night, I'm doing my research, and I said to my wife, I said, you know, most people probably say, "Oh, tell me what you learned from those Super Bowl victories or mm-hmm. you know, the nervousness or whatever." I'm more fascinated with the loss. <laughs> what, what? Especially, you know, I think uh, I read somewhere—I forget who it was—but they were saying they won the Super Bowl and they're looking around and they're cleaning up the field and they got the trophy and they had a moment like, of, "Is this it? Mm-hmm. Like, this is all there is? Like this? I've been working my whole life for this." Mm-hmm. And and I can relate to that. What I can't relate to is going to a Super Bowl-type experience and losing. Yes. That, to me, sounds heavier than even winning. Losing yes. sounds way worse than winning sounds exciting. So yes. talk about that. I know it's a little bit of a divergence, but you 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 triggered that for me.
0: Hey, we're on the bus going to, we're getting real close to the the hotel we'll be staying in. This is when I was with the Chargers, my first Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And one of the uh, defensive linemen uh, yells out on the bus. We're sitting in the back of the bus. He goes, hey, guys, you know that uh, ESPN always plays a few plays from every Super Bowl. They do it every year. Wouldn't you hate to be one of those plays if you lose the Super Bowl? Like, they they show that play every year for that Super Bowl. And he goes, don't be that guy.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: like... Oh, thanks, buddy. I yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. Now, no pressure, but that's what it's like. Yeah, uh, you don't want to uh, make a mistake that cost the team the game. But this isn't just any game. This is the Super Bowl game. Yeah, and so it'll be like you'll be people will remember you, and you'll be reliving that mistake, that bad play every year that the Super Bowl is played.
1: So, what did you? What did you do? on that bus ride to shake yourself. What it was your routine then? Mm-hmm. Uh, not that it got rid of all the, I think that's a misconception yeah. too. Uh, you know, again, my hope with this podcast is to have real conversations. Yeah. And it's not to say, here's this 10 step routine and if you do this 10 step routine, you too will win a Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's saying uh, you might do this routine and you still were nervous, but it still yeah. allowed you to take on the game. It so does. What, was, what was your pregame then?
0: It does, so my pregame really was just going over in my mind every nuance of the defender that I would be uh, going against. Mm -hmm. It was the same. Uh, And my notes were much different from the notes my coach had. Like he had one level of what needed to be done for success, but I had another two notches deeper than that, Mm -hmm. right? They would hand us the game plan, but we all had, offensive linemen, had another more specific personal game plan uh, right, based on our own personal individualized film study. Right. And Was that so, on
1: your own accord or were the coaches? Yes, definitely
0: you on that? my own accord yeah. or extrapolated from the information that he gave. Yeah. Putting those together. So true professionals do that. Yeah. Right. It's kind of like the professor, uh, his job is to give us the information. Right. The student's job is to apply it. Mm-hmm. For the professional, uh, we're just applying it uh, at work. Mm-hmm. right big difference Mm -hmm. and uh, it's got to work it's because it counts and so that's my routine Uh, it's all mental before the game physical work is done Uh, it's all mental I'm thinking through in my mind how plays will go Mm -hmm. I am uh, giving myself a vision of how things will go and I'm keeping it as realistic as possible like Derek Thomas is a really good player. He probably will get on my edge. Mm -hmm. It may look like it's over and he could get a sack, but I got a split second to get one more nudge in and then hope the quarterback steps up and that's how it goes.
1: Yeah, I like the reality of that. I think back to when I was in high school, I was taught visualization. Mm -hmm. And so I would be on the bus ride to a game visualizing how I wanted the game to go. Mm-hmm. And and maybe maybe that's how I read it. Maybe that's how I was taught it. Maybe as a kid, I just didn't really understand it. Mm-hmm. But I remember almost as soon as the game starts, because my visualization was so perfect, mm-hmm. <laughs> thinking that if I visualize it, it'll happen. Mm-hmm. The, f- the first second of a mistake, the first second of, of missing a ground ball for me playing lacrosse or mm-hmm. whatever it might be, uh, it kind of rattled yep. that pregame work because it wasn't realistic. Um, and I'd never thought about that until right now when you were saying yep. you're seeing, you're, you're visualizing how it's really going to mm-hmm. go, knowing that. Then the power of that is you're not leaning on the visualization to create the peak performance. You mm-hmm. have done the work. You've done the practice. You've done the physical work. Mm-hmm. You're acknowledging that your mind could get in your way. Yep. And so it's getting your mind out of your way.
0: That's it. That's, uh, that's the difference between uh, performers and high performance performers Yeah, in any in industry. Uh, is how you deal with the mistake, how you deal with your own inadequacy, how you deal with uh your weaknesses, how you deal with uh who you're not as of yet mm-hmm. uh how you deal with your rookie status uh how you deal with your lack of experience mm-hmm. uh that that's what makes pros that's that that's how you get to your second contract. It has nothing to do with your strength, your athletic ability. It has everything to do with the six inches between your ears. Mm-hmm. That is the National Football League. That's the NBA. That's Major League Baseball. That's big time soccer in Europe.
1: And are you still doing that? You know, right now you're you're in a, you're transitioning from the world of sports mm-hmm. to the world of, like you said earlier, you were an HR professional with the Ravens, and being an HR professional in the business world, in terms of, you know, I, I think. Um, I work with a lot of HR folks and people think when you say HR, Mm -hmm. most individuals just think of hiring, firing, you know, the training when it comes to any sort of, you know, job on the stuff, but Mm -hmm. HR really has evolved and is evolving to, to being an employee engagement arm of the business, to -hmm. being a performance talent development arm Mm -hmm. of the business. How are you using that in in what you're doing now?
0: Yeah. I'm no different. I'm, i am uh, in any in industry, and there's really no industry that I'm looking away from for my next opportunity, I uh, claim to be able to get more out of employees than their current employer is right now, right? I get employees to get more interested in their performance. How do you do that? Uh, first, I win them, right? Right. You got to get to know people in order for them to even consider what you say, uh, because I, I aim to find out exactly your true value. Uh, I come from a place that says uh, in order to really find the treasure in people, you got to first get to know them. Uh, right. And to discover that there's some untapped treasure in them. Right. Everybody has uh, this treasure in them. Too many people aren't even tapping into it yet, but it's there. Uh, typically, somebody sees it before them. Like that's a young woman of promise. She has so much going for her, but you never really say what it is because you hadn't spent time with them to discover it, right? And it's you got to spend time with them because it's a with thing. It's a uh, it's a it's a it's a two people together thing. Right. You know what? You're really good at, at such and such. I heard what you said. Really? I never thought about that. You, you hear those conversations all the time. And so those are two people mining for treasure, right? And so once we can start to have that conversation, uh, then we uh, are going down the avenue called, man, I think I have some untapped uh, skills and abilities that I never even realized I did before. I think I may... Uh, you know what, I may change departments and take another uh, track on my career. There it goes.
1: Mm -hmm. Which is no different than... In my opinion, I mean, we never got into the details of it, but you said you never saw the National Football League as a vision for you. You never saw right. that dream. Uh, you were more interested in basketball or figure skating originally. Yes, yes. Um, But you're 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 listening to what other people say to you, mm-hmm. uh, and finding that the treasure within you, which was for years as as a player, and then and now is is untapping it for other people.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, trust me, there's like. For any industry, any company, there is a quote unquote Super Bowl for that business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, But it's the people uh, really that uh, take companies to where they've never been before. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's not necessarily the smartest or the brightest ones. It is uh, like the cohesion of a group uh, committed to one common cause. And it doesn't even have to be all the employees. All the Super Bowls I've won, there was a nucleus of about seven to eight guys on the team that carried the other 60. And that's just how it works better that way. Mm -hmm. right? We all had the same message, right? Maybe eight different perspectives, but at the core, it was the same. We were united. We had cohesion and synergy. Departments that have that, they blow it out of the box. They yeah. have incredible numbers and they have a great time doing it, no matter how tough and challenging it was.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I read one in the world of team development, there's the 1080 10 principle, mm-hmm. which you and I've talked about the top mm-hmm. 10% of any team are your natural born leaders. Those who are, uh, uh, peak performers, those who are, you don't have to sell them on these ideas. Mm-hmm. The, Lower 10% are your sticks in the mud, Mm -hmm. the challenging individuals, the folks that don't want to get on board, the folks that in a workplace are just there to work nine to five, and Mm -hmm. that's it. Um, On a team, I've worked with athletes before. who say, I'm just here to play. I'm not here to be friends with anybody. Mm -hmm. And maybe not even there to win. They're just there to play. Mm -hmm. And then the middle 80% are who you're trying to they can get influence to the bottom or yes. the top. And so how do you pull them to the top? One way or another. And so how, you know, those those teams, and we highlight the teams that won Super Bowls or were in Super Bowls, mm-hmm. but as you know, there's, there's fantastic teams I'm sure you've been a part of that weren't successful in that, right? Uh, or maybe were successful, but didn't win the ultimate Super Bowl. Yeah. So- is what you said you know there were those so Super Bowl teams in particular there was a nucleus of seven or ten individuals who really led the culture mm-hmm. uh, is has that been the case with every team you've been a part of and if you as you look at the unsuccessful teams were they teams that simply lacked those seven to ten leaders?
0: Well my first team that we lost the Super Bowl we definitely had the seven to ten leaders mm-hmm. but the team we played against yeah. <laughs> They were far and above. They had uh, superior athletes at so many more positions than we did, and they were, now we know, Hall of Famers. Mm-hmm. This is Steve Young, Deion Sanders, Ricky Waters, yeah. Jerry Rice, and that backup receiver that nobody mentions. That's who, but, that's who you guys are playing
1: against. <laughs> that's that who, who that. we were playing against. <laughs> so it
0: had more to do with them, and they had additional purposeness because their quarterback was overcoming – the past shadow of Joe Montana mm-hmm. okay. so added incentive so no there was no way we were gonna we had that was the third time we played them that year oh, wow. we lost them all three times yeah, yeah. <laughs> preseason regular season in the Super Bowl yeah. they're just a phenomenal Super Bowl team right yeah but we did have the leadership and the buy-in and the commitment and the sacrifice all those elements uh, that said uh, we should be crowned, mm-hmm. but they were better. Yeah. Well, we were close. <laughs> yeah. you were Here's close. the thing. Here's the crazy thing about that game. The players knew that they were better and we would talk about it. Yeah. So we had no like, uh, unrealistic dreams that, uh, we're going to beat this, you know, one of the best Niners teams ever. Mm-hmm. No way. Yeah. <laughs> no, Yeah. but we're going to play it out. Who knows? We're what's... still going to go. Yeah, yeah. We're still going to go. Yeah. Right. And, uh, we're still going to be pros. We care less what the, sc- the score is. Uh, we play the game because we love to play the game and love to play it at
1: a high level. And you did you still go out playing to win? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's an interesting nuance because, you know, I remember... Growing up playing high school lacrosse in upstate New York, mm-hmm. West Genesee lacrosse is the at the time had won I think fourteen state championships and and in high school sports. Mm-hmm. This happens in some college spaces, but in high school sports, there can be a team that just becomes a dynasty for years and years. Mm-hmm. And every time we would play them, we never beat them when I was when I was in high school or middle school or elementary. Never never beat a West Jenny team, even in like a summer league play. And I remember acknowledging that as a player one time and like and this notion of, well, they're better than us. And I didn't say it eloquently and mm-hmm. my teammates and even my coaches were looking at me as if like, why are you, you know, why are you, why are you saying that? Right. Mm-hmm. Like you got to have faith, have belief. have mm-hmm. this. And I said, I, like, I got tremendous. I, I want to beat this team more than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's an acknowledgement of, Hey, they're better athletes and a better team. And we can still win. Mm-hmm. We can still come out here and give it our absolute all. We can still hope that they make some mistakes that day and mm-hmm. the ball bounces our way. But it, it goes back to that conversation. We had earlier about kind of the reality of things, mm-hmm. acknowledging the reality of things. I, I still don't know, you know, I'm early into this podcast journey, uh, but I've been doing this work for eight years and I'm consistently trying to find a way to teach these concepts of team culture, teach these concepts of peak performance without um, without sounding like any book, any podcast, any yeah. teacher has the answer, yeah. has the You know, here I am sitting down with a four-time Super Bowl champion, and if you listen to this podcast, then you can gleam and take all this stuff and become a champion as well. And that's not how it works. (laughs) Uh, I think it's really embracing – it's embracing, I do this stuff because it's how I live my life. It's mm-hmm. embracing, I, I get up early, I have a routine, I am focused on performance because because that's just the way we do things here. Mm-hmm. That's team culture. Mm-hmm. When you show up to play for the Ravens, there's no guarantee you're going to win a Super Bowl in your time there. But that's not a reason for not buying into that team culture. Yeah. and. And so it's, I think, that's it's cool. I just, that's a, yeah. uh, I, I, I like how you acknowledged that yeah. uh, of yeah. what they have
0: there. You're right, it's a lot about uh, belief. Like I love players, veteran players that have never been to the Super Bowl before mm-hmm. and then they go. They have a, uh, what I call a very uh, veteran nervousness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, it's like an experienced nervousness. Uh, because they really want to win. Uh, They have a different level of want to, because they don't know. They they now know the value of the place that they're in. They realize how difficult it is to get here, and so they want to make the most of it, Mm -hmm. right? That can sometimes go either way. That can lead their performance one way or another, right? What I like to tell them is that the super bowl is nothing but a game uh that just lets uh everybody else around the world know that you're a champion you already are you do not need the super bowl game and win it to to crown yourself champion do that before the game please (laughs) Mm -hmm. right sell it in your mind that i'm the best in the world because i'm the best in the world and of the best we are the best there's only one other set of individuals that you can, uh, can argue that this season at this time. Mm-hmm. And that's the other team we're playing. So let me go ahead and go, you know what? I'm a champion. champions are not just made after the whistle is blown and they have one more point than the other team. You're telling me that that team that lost the Super Bowl aren't champions themselves? There's no way. Yeah. And so once you get that out of the way, Right. Now you can literally just walk in the booth that you just sat in front of you uh, as a champion. Then you will have a more realistic expectation about how this game will go. Mm-hmm. Right. You always want to be dictating uh, your conduct, your behavior through your thoughts. Right. I always like to think that your thoughts are uh, the script. Right. And if you're the actor, hey, just remember your lines. <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Uh, so the only thing I'm really fighting against is stinking thinking. <laughs> yeah, right? Your thoughts are the script. <laughs> your thoughts are the just script. Remember the lines.: Yes, mm-hmm. you're the actor. remember the lines. Yeah, right? It's not a hard thing to do because you have written the script. I just want people to write more hopeful ones, uh, more accurate ones, more realistic ones. Right, so that they line up with their goals, right? And then I only look for distractions that say otherwise. Sometimes it's one bad play out of sixty-eight.
1: And how do you write when you're working with a, a, a player? How do you write a hopeful and realistic script mm-hmm. for them? You know, because diff- I, I am I am willing to bet that i wanted i want to make sure we refine this conversation yes because i think when we use the word realistic there's a lot of folks in the positive thinking camp that are going to come at us yeah yeah. and say what do you mean by that
0: yeah yeah i got a story for you go ahead and i think this story is public so i'll use names yes this story is if it's not i can edit it later Yeah, this story is public so the ravens win the super bowl and they go back to Denver the next year to play the Broncos, Mm -hmm. right? Jacoby Jones fields the first punt. He's the punt returner and a really good one too. And he's back there waiting for the ball to come down. One of our rookies backs into him. Right? Lost his spatial relationship. Backs into this all-world punt returner. Pretty good receiver. Caught some important balls for the Ravens (laughs) during his time here. And Jacoby gets hurt. They have to take him off the field. Uh, Immediately, I run over to the rookie, not Jacoby, to the rookie. uh, And I'm looking at him and I'm looking at his coach, give him some really, uh, uh, some really good coaching in that moment. And uh, I already know that Jacoby is hurt, and I kind of got a good idea that it's his knee, and since I've had a few MCL tears and sprains, I think that's what it is, right? I'm not a doctor, but, you know, just from me looking. But I also see another injury forming in the rookie, and we need this rookie. Uh, He's an undrafted rookie, and he's playing in this game, so that tells you enough right there. We just won the Super Bowl. We're playing an undrafted rookie. He's good. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And he's going to be good. I just need to protect him from a potential injury about to happen. One upstairs. I call it the unseen injury. Right. Make a long story short. uh, uh, The rookie is really suffering from his performance. What just happened. He just got the world's best punt returner injured. Uh, and He's like uh, a great receiver. OMG. That's it. My career is over. Yeah, yeah. My coaches are so mad at me. I'm out of here. I'm done. It's only the first quarter. Yeah. So I run into the locker room, check on Jacoby. He's fine. Hey, yeah, Harry, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. I'm fine. It's going to be like a two or three weeks MCL spraying. I'm, I'm fine. I'm like, great, Cody. I'm glad you're good. I need your help. We got a, uh, the rookie that hurt you out there. He's got an injury, and it's uh, in his head. He's going in the tank. You're the best person to get him out. When you get dressed and get back out there, can you go up to him and uh, just restore him uh, so that he knows that you're going to be fine and direct him, tell him that he's going to be a great player in the National Football League and I need you to do that tonight. Say it just like that to Kobe. Kobe gets dressed, goes out there, everybody sees him, You know, everybody's giving him a high five. Oh, good to see you. You're going to be okay. Yeah, I'm fine. He's walking around, walks right up to the rookie, gets down on the knee, boom, gives it to him. You're going to be a great player. You're going to be fine. I'm good. Please get over it. Play your game tonight. Rookie goes back out there. Healed from the uh, injury of my career is over. And that's exactly what we call having stinking thinking. (laughs) Go to some very helpful, uh, successful, high performing thinking. Right. And so that's how you win games. That's how you win Super Bowls in the National Football League. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you uh, mitigate uh, that kind of thinking. You be realistic as possible about it. You backed up too far. You got a guy injured, but it is not over. Right. Right. You really have to direct the thoughts.
1: When, what I love about this story is we talk a lot about this concept of. Um, confidence and connection Mm -hmm. are two things that i like to focus on quite a bit and the two are related confidence is this concept of i trust myself and i trust my teammates and the people around me Mm -hmm. and that's where the connection piece comes in and and connection is that getting down on that knee Mm and saying shake it off Mm -hmm. it's done it's over you're gonna have a successful career yeah move on yeah and i have seen I've worked with a lot of teams where that is we're going through the training that I've talked to you about Mm -hmm. where I'm asking people to perform in a, we use speeches as our tool, uh, giving a powerful, effective speech in front of your teammates using enthusiasm, using Mm -hmm. projection, using energy. And when people get up there and rock that, Mm -hmm. it's an individual that trusts themselves and trusts their teammates. If someone gets up there and is caught in their head about it, I've told you the story before of an athlete who I said she just wasn't. Performing, she looked nervous. She looked uh, uneasy. She says, "I'm not good at this." Mm-hmm. And I said, "Do you trust yourself?" And she said, "Absolutely, right, peak performer, mm-hmm. a division one athlete. I trust." <laughs> She's offended that I asked. And then I said, "Do you trust your teammates?" And you could read her face before she said anything. Absolutely not. And mm-hmm. she doesn't trust her teammates. Not necessarily because of anything they're particularly doing, but because of what they're not doing. Yeah. Because in those moments where she makes a mistake, the feeling she has is they they want to see her fall flat on her face. And she was a rookie. She was a freshman in college. Yeah. And so look at the rookie in the NFL. Your head could go that way. I'm coming in and I'm, I'm taking somebody's spot. Mm-hmm. There is someone who's fighting for this spot as well. Mm-hmm. The moment I make a mistake, not only am I in my head about it, but my belief is that everybody else doesn't think I can cut it and maybe would like to see me fail. And sometimes that is true on terrible culture teams. Mm-hmm. More often than not, in my experience, it's not true at all. It's the stinking thinking in yes. the head. Mm-hmm. And, and yes, you as an individual can can tell yourself all the right thoughts and ideas. Thoughts matter, words matter, tell yes. yourself the right script. And you need, I believe you need a teammate or a coach to mm-hmm. affirm that script. You need other people. Yeah. Yeah. That connection.
0: Connection yeah. is everything. Yeah. Right. That's that's really the name of the game. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, even the, the strategy I use, I assume that Jacoby already knew that. Like I know he had only been there uh, just a couple of years, uh, but that's always been a, a cultural pers- uh, characteristic of the Baltimore Ravens since I was a player here. The players are connected, mm-hmm. whether they are actually connected or not. I don't care.
1: Yeah, Tell me about that, because I've said that before. (laughs) So
0: I I, I believe that just most of uh, what we learn is caught, even as adult people, right? Uh, I think uh, just the demonstration of uh, how it should go is better than uh, waxing eloquent on a 30-minute presentation about how our culture should go, how we should conduct and behave. I think that the presentation should come after you've already demonstrated it. I think when when the leader and whatever level of leadership is on the team or in the department, uh, whatever level they have, they should be demonstrating the things that are on the mission and vision statement, right? Already, it shouldn't be like a foreign thing that you can't see and move and breathe, right? I think uh, when uh, we as leaders make ourselves known uh, to people that we're we're responsible for, all right, they make themselves responsible to us. Like there's like a level of accountability, right? This is when you get uh, players from other teams that discarded them. They come to teams like the Ravens and they play better. And the team calls us back after the season like, hey, how the heck did you get him to uh, like play so well? Was he like a brat and was he like an ogre and difficult to deal with uh, with you guys like it was for us? No, not at all. How'd you do that? With the Ravens. <laughs> <laughs> right? And so the culture dictates that uh, we're all going to be connected uh, and we're all going to be concerned with one another and then we really w- win games when I trust you. Mm-hmm. Whether or not you've earned it or not, I'm expecting you to be there for me when I am in need.
1: That's uh, I, I just worked with a team uh, maybe two weeks ago. I think it was that close. Where... Um, one of the players felt said I, I I don't feel you all trust me and the players responded and said we don't because of these decisions that you've made last season mm-hmm. and and it were decisions that involved lying, involved skipping uh, study halls, a college team. And, and she responded and said, but we dealt with that. Mm-hmm. We, I, I paid my price. Mm-hmm. I met with the coach. I've said this season is gonna be different. This is a, It was a softball team. And so we were doing a preseason thing. Mm-hmm. We haven't started practice yet. Mm-hmm. And, and so she said, um, I have changed. When will you change the way you look at me? Mm-hmm. And that was powerful. And it yeah. goes to, I said what you just said, so I, I, I'm i affirmed in what I said yeah. in the sense that um, you trust her because she's a teammate. Mm-hmm. Th- put that out there. Yeah. If she breaks that trust, then we deal with it. Mm-hmm. But you've got to trust people inherently anyways. I always use the, the reason I wanted you to talk about this idea of of uh, we're, whether they're actually connected or not, mm-hmm. what you said, I don't care. And I think, you know, what I the way I take that mm-hmm. so you know add your add your opinion here. Okay. Um, the way I take that is I look at I always I've come up with this analogy that a team is a family. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people want to say that our team's a family. I say great. Are there people in your family who you are not necessarily friends with? Mm-hmm. And everyone laughs. Says, oh, of course. <laughs> are there people in your family that maybe you don't like spending time with? Mm-hmm. Are there people in your family that every holiday you're saying you know what like we're not gonna get together with them? And then you end up getting together with them <laughs> and they laugh. And I say, the reason you do that is because they're family, mm-hmm. because you do respect them. You do love them. You do trust them. You mm-hmm. trust that they have your best interest in mind. If they're going through a hard time, you are there for them, mm-hmm. uh, no matter how long that hard time is. Mm-hmm. And yes, are there certain instances where we we, we do cut family off? Mm-hmm. Sure. I'm not saying this is some perfect analogy yep. vacuum here, but I think it it. It it has resonated with a number of teams I've worked with because Mm -hmm. no one's bringing us in. When things are going great, right? People bring us in when they've got a lot of great athletes, mm-hmm. good talent. They think we can really succeed this year, but the coach is saying our 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 guys or our girls don't get along. They don't connect. They don't like each other. They don't spend time together. They're fighting about things not related to sports. Mm-hmm. And so when I come in, I'm not I'm saying I'm not going to wave some magic wand and solve all these right. arguments for you. I don't care if you're friends. Mm-hmm. I don't. And if you are looking to create a powerful culture, I do care if you're a family. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, people look at it as family is the next level from friends. And I don't see that. It's Mm -hmm. just a different relationship. It's different relationship. And that's how I see this idea of, I don't care if you're friends. I don't care if you're, like you said, really
0: connected. Don't care what you're, what people are doing wrong. That happens all the time. We are always in English. People will hate me for this. We're always being team. We are, in the process of demonstrating daily that we are a team. Mm. And we expect people to uh, come over, take the bar, lower it, and then we walk over, take the bar, and put it back up where it belongs, team. And so we continue to do that over and over again with different things. We're going to the cafeteria to get some lunch. I merely ask you, hey, uh, can I sit with you today? Sure. I just put the bar up that said team, right? Even though that young person may have never been asked before, if he, if I could sit with him, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, that's just how it happens with family. Like, it, like here's a good way to look at it. So the Ravens will always be in the AFC North, mm-hmm. right? Right? They will be in this family called AFC North depending on how many games they win, their standing within the AFC North could go from one to five, right? But they'll always be AFC North, as long as they commissioner commissioner to reshuffle it. Right. You get my uh, idea. I it's the same thing with family. He'll always be my uncle. Uh, I know he drinks a lot, especially at the family picnic, and I got to cover his mouth sometimes because my kids are around, but he's my uncle, mm-hmm. right? He's part of our family. He is who we are. Yeah, he doesn't always behave like I think a great uncle should behave, but he's ours, Mm -hmm. right? And so, in other words, I just said, I'm willing to uh, suffer to make sure that uncle knows he's part of our family. Mm -hmm. Now, when a team or an organization uh, approaches uh, the relationships they have, they are now just connected, even their worst employee, uh, to the uh, purpose of this particular company. Even they, with low skill set, maybe lower abilities, are, will perform above and beyond uh, what it is their job description says because they're connected to us now because uh, we have grabbed a hold of that person and said, you belong to us. This is classic like Eagles fans. Eagles fans got to be the worst. You can talk about the Eagles and the fans will be all over you uh, right? Uh, they love their team, but they'll sit in the stands while they're losing and just ream them to death. <laughs> <laughs> but if you do it, they'll jump all over you. Yeah, yeah. Wow, oh, yeah. Because
1: I can, I those can talk about eagles, You can't talk not about yours. <laughs> <them>. <laughs> I believe that.
0: Right. If that that's it's loyalty. Well, and
1: you're, you know, my experience tells me that you're correct. That that when when you treat people that way, that mm-hmm. that uncle who's ours, that individual has the ability to rise to the occasion, to join the culture, to shift, to change. I've seen that in mm-hmm. teams I've worked with. And I've been around enough teams where there is an individual that, even in that environment, mm-hmm. continues to push back against the culture. Mm-hmm. And I I sought out a solution for years that didn't include cutting that person mm-hmm. or firing them <laughs> or finding another place for them. I read all the books. I, yeah. I talked to a lot of coaches mm-hmm. and at some level, you know, because I looked at it as we're coming and saying, we're going to solve your team culture challenges. Mm-hmm. We're going to create better leaders. So in my opinion, if I can't get that, that individual on board, then, then what w- am I any good at what I do? Right. And I think the reality is there's always going to be someone, maybe mm-hmm. not always, not every team, but mm-hmm. in, in doing this, and the last three years, specifically with Division One athletic programs, I've encountered a very small percentage, but at least two individuals that at the end of our season of working with a particular team, mm-hmm. when we come in to create this new culture, mm-hmm. there's an individual that says, I'm not here for this. Right. And they're not bad. Mm-hmm. And your culture isn't bad. It's, it's them realizing that there's a better place for me to thrive. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's not even on the field. Maybe it's it's at a lower level because I don't want to I don't want to play at this level. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned Rutgers; they're a good they're a good example of a school that recently joined the Big Ten Conference. That's mm-hmm. and that's when I would talk to those coaches when I was working there. They said that was a big part of that. We have yeah. players that were recruited, not expecting to play Big Ten. Yes. and now all of a sudden we're playing Big Ten. Yes, and if I'm trying to mold you into a Big Ten athlete, that might not be what you want to mm-hmm. do. So. Maybe there is an opportunity for you to go thrive somewhere else.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're right. You can't win everybody. Mm -hmm. I think um, you got to be willing to take those losses, Mm -hmm. right? And even that person in a department in a division, uh, don't isn't it? It's a challenge. That person makes it a challenge for the people around around them, Mm -hmm. right? They kind of keep us sharp right they kind of remind us of uh even uh while we're while why we're here as like, i love
1: talking to you, you are the, the most positive person <laughs> those yeah. people keep us sharp and remind yeah. us why we're i've here. always been that guy yeah. on
0: a team where guys didn't like this particular person uh, uh but i was able to find something intrinsically valuable about that person mm-hmm. right uh I guess I was, I've been doing this work for longer than I thought. I didn't just want to win games. I wanted to win people,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? Uh, even as a player. Even as a player, right? Initially, when I first started playing uh, uh, sports, uh, I found out that my dad really liked sports. I didn't know him very well. I thought that I could win him through playing sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I've always been you in conscious this, of
1: that or is that, a I wasn't conscious of realized. it
0: until in college he came to see me play a game and, it, and he came to the worst game because it come to Rutgers was playing Florida. Mm-hmm. Why the heck were we playing the university of Florida? I have no idea. At home
1: or down in Florida?
0: Thank goodness. It was at the Meadowlands. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, it didn't matter that day because my dad was at the game Yeah. and I was trying to win his admiration. And so I played a lights-out game that was totally surprising to my coaches. They were looking at me like I was on something. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh,
0: but I knew exactly what it was. Uh, it had nothing to do with football. Everything to do with my connection to my father.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. And so I've just, all I've done really is taken the, uh, the power of family and just applied it to my different workplaces and different teams and different locker rooms. That's all I've done. The yeah. think about the greatest institution that puts out leaders is the family.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's an awesome, transition segue into what I what I told you originally I wanted to start with but this is the nature of our conversation mm-hmm. so I, I love the way it's gone uh is the reason you came back to Baltimore so you were a, a team chaplain in Chicago right yep and and talk to us about why you came back to Baltimore
0: so I came back to Baltimore because uh OJ burgantz was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease mm-hmm. so
1: a former teammate of
0: yours a former teammate of mine we won a Super Bowl together Uh, here in uh, 99, and I got a call from uh, the GM, Ozzie Newsome. Uh, He he wanted an assistant, but this assistant...
1: Because OJ was
0: the player development director. Yep, he was the director of player development. Uh, They wanted an assistant player development director, but needed some uh, special skill sets because of this uh, terminal illness that OJ was diagnosed with the year before. Mm -hmm. And... So we kind of knew what that role would be about, but really not because we nobody really had a lot of experience around uh, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis because those patients don't last very long mm-hmm. for you to have experience. Uh, but uh, it was a great it was the greatest job I've ever had in the most difficult. Right, It would have been less difficult if O.J. wasn't such a great guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like if he had a a poor attitude and he was just crappy because he was dying, I think it would have been easier. But because he had such an incredible attitude, there's a quote, a man with a great attitude makes the most of it, even though he gets the worst of it. Mm. That's O.J.
1: Why did that make it more difficult for you?
0: It made it more difficult because he was engaged in uh his dying Mm -hmm. right and he's a people guy he doesn't walk by anybody without saying anything right people come up to him to talk to him more than anybody i've ever seen right he was like that when he was a player uh didn't matter his status or whatever he just made the most of his time Uh, he was he this is a guy that was fully engaged in life he had full-on life Mm -hmm. hanging over his head and so he was the worst person to get a disease like that and also the best, mm-hmm. right? So he, in, in many ways, he really set a greater standard for living because he was a dead man walking mm-hmm. and still is.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I remember reading <laughs> still is. The expect- his life expectancy at one point was 40 mm-hmm. and he just turned 50, correct? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yep, so beat the doctor's prognosis. Well, and, and
1: you had a... Um a great quote there so there's a Baltimore Sun article mm-hmm. when you first came back talking about why you came back and working with OJ and you had a really good quote in there I don't know if you remember it I about, don't about um, the perspective that working with OJ gave you for the job as, as a player development director as a player engagement director on what you're saying right now okay in regards to when you're working with these young kids the story you told earlier guy who has an injury, Mm -hmm. a guy who maybe made a mistake that could end his career, a player who's drafted as, say, a quarterback and is sitting behind another quarterback who's becoming the franchise player. And when these individuals meet with you, they think they're going through the worst thing that life could throw them. And you had this really great line about working with OJ gave you such perspective Mm -hmm. on not only, and not to say that, you know, everyone's own challenge is their yeah. biggest challenge. So we're not so just talking commit. back a challenge. Yeah. But I think what, you know, the, the quote in the paper was just about that, you mm-hmm. know, so people can take away from it what they want and say that, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty, they, they simplified the heck out of it.
2: Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and the reality
1: is that quote for me was clarified with what you just said. Of It's not just about comparing challenges. Oh, right. what gives you the right to be upset about a, a meniscus tear when mm-hmm. OJ's got ALS? That's not it. Mm-hmm. The point is, here's this guy. Who you said is a walking a mm-hmm. dead man walking, and he is still an attitude of fully engaged in life, an yeah. attitude of going up to people and saying hi to them, an attitude of doing his job.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: One of the most difficult jobs, I think, in the league, yeah. because you're dealing with the mental side of the game, mm-hmm. and and doing it at an extreme at, at the highest level. Mm-hmm. You know, the Ravens during his tenure and when you were there with him has received the accolades. Uh, for their player engagement office. Mm -hmm. And that to me is the context that's needed in terms of saying that's the perspective it gave you.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, he really does give, I mean, he's a walking example of uh, this very sacred thing called life, Mm -hmm. right? Even though uh, he's dying, so is everybody else. Mm -hmm. And despite uh, what it looks like Uh, I really do believe that uh, OJ is more free than anybody who has full use of all their limbs. Mm. Right. Because of how he sees it, Uh, how he just relates to the space that he does have, as opposed to the things that he doesn't have. Mm -hmm. Uh, They don't have a chance. Uh, when I learned more about ALS, I realized that uh, this disease, the last muscle that it will affect is the muscles that move your eyes. And what I love about uh, OJ is most people don't know where to look. A lot of people over the years have asked me, uh, it's really tough to see him because I've seen him as OJ before. Uh, where do I look? I don't want to stare at his hands or his shoulders or... The wheelchair, I'm like, "Look right at his eyes. the disease hasn't touched that mm. <laughs> yeah. and uh and that's really not how I know how he's doing, yeah, right if I'm on the side of o j and I say, o j how's it going? and I see his eyes move, I know that he's doing great, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. right he's still got time, yeah, uh, and he this is a guy that just knows. How to live a life? I've yeah. said before that he's the strongest man in the building, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but in order to get that label, you got to go through the toughest thing.
1: Do the players feel that? Does Does your culture reverberate from his example? Still?
0: I think the the culture has uh, has been directed and sustained because OJ is in their midst. Yeah, right. I think his office is a good office to uh, walk in after you're. Uh, you know you won't be playing for two or three weeks because of an injury. Mm-hmm. He'll give you all, you automatically get perspective when you look at OJ. Yeah, like oh, this sucks. I got to use crutches to uh, go home and get upstairs to my second floor bedroom. And then you walk past OJ's office. Well, I'm glad I got crutches. Too. <laughs> yeah, and,
1: and and like you said, it's it's not a um, it's not a, a well at least i'm not in his predicament it's mm-hmm. a it's because of his attitude it's because of his still being yeah. engaged in the office it's mm-hmm. because of what he's doing right uh, it it for me it it um
0: and it was a choice of his it was a choice of his to stay involved could, to yeah. stay involved and to uh think about this uh diagnosis this particular way mm.
1: that was his choice you're that saying. was his yeah, cho- that was a very intentional
0: choice yeah i mean you Uh, we had to have conversations before the tracheotomy, Mm -hmm. right? We had to have conversations before the wheelchair. We had to have conversations before uh, his last meal, at least a meal that he would chew the food. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, can you imagine having conversations about uh, the last time I make love to my wife? Mm -hmm. And so these are like life, death conversations. Mm -hmm. Uh, These are, uh, people grieve a loss of a loved one, but you never really grieve uh, different faculties one at a time as you lose them. Mm -hmm. One by one, bit by bit. Right? I remember the first time I saw the pen drop out of his hand. I just stood up, went over to his desk, put it back in his fingers so he could start writing again.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> right, so we had to talk about that. So what are you gonna do when you can't write anymore? It's like, can you use the other hand? Can you, t- hey, I just saw something on the internet. They got this machine that like, types for you and you just talking to it like Siri, Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? It's that kind of discovery. And just his even attitude on different conversations like that uh, told me that he had already decided in his mind That not only he's gonna do this, but he's gonna do it the right way with the right attitude. He made up his mind for that.
1: Yeah. And for me, you know, I I'm not trying to reach here and create a full circle theme of of this conversation. I I think we started out by kind of talking about the idea of realistic realistic hope and and positive attitude and Mm -hmm. how it relates to that. Mm -hmm. I, I get Myself and Ryan, when we go into a room, we get categorized as the positive energy guys. That's oh, what really? we we'll to talk about. Yeah. Okay. You know, and you'll have people that, oh yeah, like kind of roll their eyes at it. You know, oh, I don't need another positive energy uh-huh. workshop in my life. Right. And we always say positivity, positive energy is not the denial of problems it's not just constantly having a smile on your face it's the acknowledgement that there are challenges it's the acknowledgement that there are problems and in that i will be solution oriented negativity growth mindset fixed mindset negativity yes. is is complaining about the problem and letting that be your crutch mm-hmm. letting that be your what you're priding yourself on look how hard my life is right. instead of saying this is the this is the challenge it sucks and i'll i'll have moments mm-hmm. of venting and complaining about it And that moment will be quick and I'll move on and find a solution for it. The pen Mm -hmm. drops out of your hand. Great. Put it back in. If that doesn't Mm -hmm. work, can you write with the other hand? If not, can we find a technology to help you write? You're staying engaged. You're staying involved. When the players walk in that room, it's not about, I don't have a right to complain because my situation isn't as bad as, as OJ's. Mm -hmm. That's not it. It's about it. Here's an example of an individual that has no excuses, who doesn't focus on the problem Mm -hmm. focuses on what's the solution to the problem, which is what, which is what we're, we're, you're looking to get an individual to understand. So they perform better in a football game for three and a half years, maybe (laughs) so that the rest of their life, they do that same thing with their husband or wife. They do that same thing with their kids. They do that same thing when they're faced with something Mm -hmm. like ALS. Um, It's one of the, Things I've appreciated most about about talking with you mm-hmm. is that you know yes we've told a lot of stories in this podcast about football because that's your lens yeah and I want it to be abundantly clear that uh, just like your mother you don't care that much <laughs> <laughs> about football no <laughs> it's the lessons you're taking away oh, and, man. and it's it's the lessons that others can take away as well oh wow.
0: That's just tremendous ones too tremendous ones man a lot of what you said really has a lot to do with I read a book not too long ago. I think the author's name was Harry Kramer. And the best chapter in the book for me was how he explained what true self-confidence is. So I had a lot of self-confidence, but not until I hit my 30s that I have true self-confidence. And he kind of explains it like true self-confidence is, this is down the folder you said, true self-confidence is not knowing that you're... uh uh Big, strong, and fast, and uh, a great left tackle. Truth self confidence is uh, I'm not I'm not a good run blocker, and I don't really handle the emotions really good with my wife yet. And uh, I'm a really rookie uh, father to my daughter when it comes to women's issues, and I'm not really good at math, uh, but. Uh, I do love the heck out of my wife. Uh, I really do like pass blocking, and right? So it's both sides of the coin, right? And when you can uh, talk about yourself from both sides of the coin uh, and not rationalize or minimize or or talk it down or beat yourself up, but you see yourself as you are, uh, even with your inadequacies, and they don't hinder or distract you away from... Uh, what it is that you do. It actually adds to it. That's true self-confidence. And I think in a lot of ways, and I'm borrowing that definition from Harry Kramer's book, uh, but in a lot of ways, uh, without true self-confidence, first of all, you can't get it without true self-awareness. Without true self-confidence, you really can't, it's more difficult to connect to people, right? When you do that work, however, and this is why I really excelled at the field out that I'm in this HR performance management people operations type thing. Uh, is one of the reasons why I have excelled so much at this because of examples of people like OJ. Right. And what I really believe uh, makes for great teams, people being connected at a level that most people would not think they would be connected with. And so it comes right back to the family because those conversations easily happen in the family because those are the people that know you, like the top shelf Bobby Audley and the bottom shelf one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? My wife knows the worst of Harry Swain. Yeah. And she's still with me. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, but also uh, uh, she knows the best of Harry Swain. And so her guiding point is that best guy despite the fact that the uh, inadequacy, inadequacy, shortcomings, mistakes uh, sometimes get in the way, uh, we do not allow that to retard us or keep us away from the potential possibilities uh, from uh, the great things, the good things, the positive things, right? And so it's a choice, it's still a choice.
1: Well, and your wife, I would assume, would if you were consistently the worst version of Harry Swain mm-hmm. would not tolerate that right and 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 that i see in relationships, mm-hmm. those that those that do rise to the occasion. It's mm-hmm. those that see the best in you, see the worst in you, accept right. you for both of those and say, I am going to expect the best of you. Mm-hmm. I am going to challenge you to bring that to mm-hmm. the table and yep. not tolerate the worst of you. If yes. someone tolerates the worst of you, like mm-hmm. you said earlier, if, if being team, if you lower that bar mm-hmm. so people can walk over it, then why is anyone gonna wanna reach it? because they know at some level you're going to lower it mm-hmm. so they can walk over it. That's yeah. a lot easier. Yes. And the brain yeah. likes easy. Mm-hmm. It's not bad. It likes easy. Yes
0: it does. Yes. I love it. Yeah. That's great.
1: Let me uh uh we have been we've been going for almost an hour and a half, which yeah. is good. Yeah. It I, I want to uh, uh, honor your time. Uh, I I haven't looked at my notes once since we started. That's pretty good, Bobby. <laughs> uh let me ask you this. So mm-hmm. what role does, you know, a team chaplain play especially on a team that not everybody is a, you know, t- traditionally as a chaplain is kind of a, for the most part a Christian role, mm-hmm. um, and not everybody is Christian and now right. nowadays not only is that the case but I think people are obviously more open and honest about what they truly believe in. Mm-hmm. And so what role does that play yeah. in the
0: league? So basically the team chaplain is just he's just the spiritual Guidepost, the spiritual leader of a team, an organization, mm-hmm. right? And so chaplains, uh, for the most part, it doesn't matter what faith a particular employee is because it's also regular employees, players, coaches, sure. wives, the whole enchilada. Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, we talk to anyone and everyone about faith and faith matters and where they are and how they're doing with that. What part of their life is it? And so it opens up for some great ideas. I've learned a lot about other faiths. I've discovered some faiths I know more about than the actual person that said they had the belief. (laughs) But uh, yeah, it is basically I am in many ways a, a care provider. I am just really bringing help and care to people. Uh, right? I am uh, helping them walk through the different hurdles in life, Mm -hmm. right? Just with a a spiritual perspective, Mm -hmm. Uh, fully telling them on, Hey, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. So I read the Bible. And so foundationally, all my principles will come from that. Uh, But uh, that doesn't have to be where you are right now. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it opens the door up for people not to feel like uh he won't talk to me or i talk to anybody That's one of the better things i'm I'm good at is yeah. i can start a conversation with just about it. anybody <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah as long as i can fit because i'm six five walking my... the floor yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you just, that's part, yep. part of the job is walking the floor yep. and connecting with the with the people yep yep so uh but yeah you know that i mean locker rooms are great for that i've been mm-hmm. doing that since i've been in a locker room uh Partly because I used to be a defensive player and then I went to an offensive player. Uh, so <laughs> that kind of made it easier. Yeah. But also because of me, I just like to connect with different people, mm-hmm. just who I am. And so really that's that was kind of the framework that, that made for good chaplaincy, yeah. open to all. and Including uh, coaches, administrators, and people like that. So my first year with the uh, Chicago Bears in, two th- in 2003, uh, they weren't used to that kind of walking the floor, and why is this guy coming up to meet everybody? And so I got kicked out of the locker room. Like, did two, you really? <laughs> two <weeks> in, two <laughs> Hey, Stephanie, get out of here! Yeah. <laughs> so I wasn't allowed in. The loud end, had they had uh, a chaplain before? They, they just, had. They obviously didn't. I think you might have been in there a couple times at least. the floor. Yeah. But yeah. it was the most familiar spot that I had—the locker room. I mean, I just got finished playing two years prior. Those players didn't know that.
1: Well, and, and I and I'm not. I don't want to project what what the reasoning was for, for wanting you yeah. out, but I will say they were no, teasing me. Knowing, I'm sure they were teasing me. They were just teasing and, me. And uh, yeah. you are an individual that you know. Again, we talk about energy and how you show up, how you make people feel. Yeah, you're an individual that when you walk up to somebody, there's a sense that you either got a question to ask or you want to learn something or I know we're going to talk. Yeah. You're not just saying hi. It's kind of that no. idea of, Hey, how you doing? Yeah. And if someone says good, most people keep walking. You'll stop them and say, no, mm-hmm. no, no, that's not what I asked mm-hmm. you. How you really doing? <laughs> <Yes>. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that's
0: exactly how I got in, got invited into the locker room because uh, it took a couple of weeks, but they just not enough of the players knew me. Yeah. That's all it was. Sure. Right, and then, when they got the number I haven't made my way around the locker, there's a lot of guys in there haven't made my way around the whole locker room yet, and then you got to know the key individuals mm-hmm. right, so the seven or eight guys right uh, of of influence right, and so I didn't even know who those seven or eight were. I'd only been at work for two weeks, and so uh, Do you
1: figure it out on your own? Do you ask people
0: I did I yeah. just asked people, I talked to people, I saw I watched people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I was, I should have been a psych major in college. Yeah. I was business. Uh, but I finally got there. You figured it out. I figured it out. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, uh, uh, it is uh, people operations, right? Mm-hmm. It's engagement before they even came up with the fancy phrase. Right. And that's really what it is, right? And it's making yourself known and being okay with the process by which it takes. I mean, it takes a little longer. To make yourself known and to know people, but uh, after you're connected to people, some truly amazing things can uh, take place, and that's exactly what happened in Chicago. And I was just there for five years. Yeah, it was incredible. And here's the, here's the thing: so the Bears go to the Super Bowls. My last year there in 2007, and uh, they lose that Super Bowl. That was Peyton Manning's first Super Bowl win. Um, Tony Dungy, head coach of the Colts. Uh, Lovey Smith, head coach of the Bears. And they give me an AFC championship ring. I'm thinking they're going to give me like a replica of the ring. No, they give me the player version mm-hmm. of their NFC championship ring. Mm-hmm. I was totally blown away by that. Yeah, But that really uh, spoke to the connections, the relationships.
1: You remember the team. You are you are a part of their mm-hmm. process, part of their family. Yep. So this is my I, I'll ask one more question cuz I, I know you've got you got stuff at noon you yes, got to do. Last question. Um, because you just mentioned even with the Bears, mm-hmm. you were with the Bears for 5 years as a chaplain and that team goes to the Super Bowl as a player, you're on Three different teams that go to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, as as a executive player engagement director of the Ravens, you go to the Super Bowl. Um, you were just with the Ravens last year. This year, they're having one of their best seasons mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. You know, people are talking about them going to the Super Bowl. Is that is that luck? Is that by accident? <laughs> or are you? I'm not. I'm not asking you to take credit for the teams going to the Super mm-hmm. Bowl. Are you one of those individuals that? is integral to creating this culture of success that the work you did as a chaplain for five years and that was accepted because mm. it's not just, hey, we bring on Harry Swain, we're going to go to the Super Bowl. It's a, it's a, it's it's an ownership office that is saying this is the kind of person we want a part of our culture. So is the success that you have had, um, mm. is it luck? Is it an accident? Or is it because of how you show up? Because you've done it as a player, mm-hmm. as a chaplain and, yeah. and a director of player engagement. And
0: right. I never looked at it like that, but... I mean, yeah, maybe some luck. I think. Yeah, no, I don't think it's luck. Yeah, (laughs) let me change that answer. (laughs) 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 Yeah, because that just doesn't happen. I was going to challenge you on that, so go ahead, change your answer. (laughs) You know, it's really. I think. uh, I think some uh, amazing things can happen when uh, people are are connected with each other, Mm. Uh, and what I love about the NFL is. Every team is really, really good, uh, and so really the only difference is how connected are, are they connected enough to go through rough spots? Do they have enough trust uh, so that when I'm not coaching really well, or not managing really well, or not playing really, really well, that uh, our relationship is such that it can uh, it can carry that burden, mm-hmm. right? Because when it does, it couldn't be the the best demonstration that I do trust you, and I might't even love you. And I think people do have to uh, start that trend, right uh, and you, you know me Bobby, I'm just from the uh from the from the street of I just assume that everyone is like that, and so <laughs> my process uh has that already embedded uh, perspective and approach in it. Like like everyone, uh, why wouldn't you not like me? I'm an old lineman, I wouldn't hurt a fly. <laughs> mm-hmm, 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 yeah. <laughs> right, and, uh, and so I think uh, when uh, people start to catch that, I mean, it can permeate through an organization, through a locker room, just like the bad stuff can. Mm-hmm. Right, and uh, I think that makes that's probably one of the most overlooked characteristics of a championship group of people uh, that I, you mentioned this earlier, not too many books can even describe, mm-hmm. all right? It's kind of one of those things you gotta be there to know, mm-hmm. right? You have to like uh, see it form and see it happen and things have to happen. Like uh, Chuck Pagano B- B- has to get diagnosed with uh, this disease for his team to rally behind the second guy in command and they do. And it's like an amazing story for the cult. a few years ago. And so people do something when they're together and then when they're given this grid called uh, life's tough turns happen, then it gets a place to demonstrate itself. And then it grows because of the difficulty, right? I really think that people they grow on their own just in the normal course of life, but I think they really take a jump in their growth and in their community connections when tough stuff happens. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like New Yorkers hate each other, and then a tough thing like nine eleven happened. Now they 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 become part of this one unit. Right? Yeah. When some tragedy happens, right? I love that about the human spirit. Mm-hmm right i just operate off of uh we're already connected tragedies have happened uh, right and they may happen again let's get connected now and stay connected right yeah uh let's live work and breathe and be in community uh together because we could not have this tomorrow Mm -hmm. right and so i think that does that mindset uh can catch like fire, and people can grab a hold of it, and special things happen when people get together on, at that level. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'll say before we before we close here. Number one you and I have always planned our conversations for an hour and we've never been less than two hours. <laughs> uh, so I had a hunch, uh, this, this, I, I, if you look at the calendar, I did schedule it till 1130. Uh, <laughs> so I knew what I was doing. And, uh, um, uh, last thing I'll say is, um, you're a, you're, you're a big reason this podcast is happening. Awesome. I've had a lot of people who have said, you know, encouraged me to do it. And I've kind of brushed it off as someday down the road, I'll do it. And the last two conversations you and I have had, I've gotten in my car and said, I wish I recorded that mm-hmm. for my own selfish purposes. Yeah. And, and, and this is exactly why Great. I think this has been a phenomenal conversation. Uh, I want to reiterate, um, you know, certainly I'll do an intro where we talk about your accomplishments on the field and as an athlete. And what I appreciate about you is is that is not what defines you. That is a lens. That is a uh, a result of how you live your life and who you are and how you show up. And you've got a lot more results ahead of you with this new transition. I'm excited to, to see where that goes and excited that we did this podcast in this time for you, where Great. where you've got this this just foundation of success and you're making more happen. So thank you for doing this. Thank for you, for sitting Bobby. Sitting down, making it happen. Appreciate you, Harry. Oh,
0: love it. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to the very first episode of the 50 Cups of Coffee podcast. This is a journey that started with a TEDx talk back in 2016, and I am excited to share my 50 Cups of Coffee with you in 2020. This first ever episode is launching on February 3rd, 2020, just eight days after our world suddenly and tragically lost Kobe Bryant in a helicopter crash that claimed the lives of Kobe's 13-year-old daughter Gianna and seven other people youth coaches, parents, and young athletes on their way to a basketball camp, a trip so many of us can relate to and so many of you will take a thousand times with your kids or the young athletes you coach. Launching this podcast so soon after this tragedy has felt a bit empty to me. I can't seem to shake our world losing Kobe Bryant at such a young age with so much left to give, not only to his own family, but to us who are dedicated to youth athletics, dedicated to creating culture and prioritizing connection in our world. Any conversation about this stuff that doesn't include Kobe just doesn't feel right to me at this moment. Everyone lost in this tragedy is a tragic loss. And for me and so many out there, My connection was to Kobe. He never knew this, and we never met. I'm not trying to insinuate that. But my connection was to Kobe because of how he showed up and how many lives he connected with and touched. In the past few days, I have watched countless videos of people from all walks of life and all industries who are recording raw, heartfelt, and emotional stories about their experience with Kobe Bryant. And they all have a story. A time when he touched them and made them feel important. He made them feel significant. It seems like every player in the league and every star in Hollywood has a personal story of Kobe to share. According to a Facebook post from a Make A Wish Foundation volunteer, Kobe granted more Make A Wishes than almost any other celebrity, with more than 200 wishes granted. Now, I have not checked the validity of that exact claim with Make A Wish beyond that Facebook post, but regardless, What we have learned in the past week, and I am confident we will continue to learn, is Kobe Bryant made connection a priority. The day Kobe died, I was on stage talking about the importance of connection. The next day, I led a workshop on connection. During this workshop, I choked up a bit when one participant talked about committing to connecting with her family and her kids as much as she does her work relationships. This was a group of peak performers dedicated to their craft, and and Kobe and his relationship with his kids and family just undoubtedly came up as part of this conversation. Yesterday, I spent time refining and practicing my speech for this week called Creating a Culture of Connection, Why We Truly Are Better Together, and today as I record this outro, I am putting the finishing touches on this podcast which is focused on connecting with others. And my first guest and so many of my guests to come are athletes and coaches. I share all of this because Kobe's death is not impacting me because he was one of the greatest basketball players of all time. And I don't believe that is why it's impacting the world in the way that it is. Kobe being one of the goats of the game is certainly part of it. But I believe the real ripple effect happening right now is a result of how many people he connected with on a real level. Go look up Shaq's response on NBA on TNT. Jimmy Fallon's tribute, where he shares the first time he met a 17-year-old Kobe. Countless basketball fans, players across the league, reporters, broadcasters, NBA referees, and so many people talking about what Kobe meant to them beyond basketball. This man made people a priority. As Jimmy Kimmel said so well in his tribute, he was a flawed man and we are not seeking to canonize him in death. And that is not what I'm seeking to do here. I simply believe each of us is feeling and witnessing the true power of an individual who prioritized people, cared about how he made people feel, and committed to connecting with others. When someone truly connects with others, their loss can be an incomprehensible feeling. People always ask me, who is a dream guest for the show? I have a number of dream guests, and one of them was most definitely Kobe Bryant. The reality that this dream is not even possible anymore has yet to sink in. He had so many more kids to impact with his Mamba Academy, and so much more to teach us about team culture, leadership, and connection. With this first episode, I am dedicating this entire podcast to the Mamba and hope that us having conversations about creating cultures of genuine connections in sports, business, and quite frankly, life overall, honors his legacy and in some small way, continues his work. If you enjoyed this first episode, please subscribe to the show wherever you are listening. We will launch a new interview every Monday. Please give us a rating and leave a review if you are so inclined. It means more than you know connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at Bobby Audley. This podcast is a production of the Pano Training Group. To learn more about the work we do with teams and organizations, please check us out at pinotraininggroup.com.